Hello and welcome to Passing the Mic, a podcast where we take a look at the local music scene in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and the surrounding area. I'm your host, Michael Pye. This is a podcast of Central Michigan Life. Be sure to visit us at cmlife.com and find this podcast on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. And today I have the members of Riot Course. Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, Hello. My name's Kate. I'm guitar and vocals. I'm Spencer. I play bass. I'm Sawyer. I play drums. Cool. So first question, how did Riot Course come to be? I started Riot Course, um, let me see. don't have an official date because it kind of went like I had been in bands before and then I went and tracked an EP at Radon Studios and I, I did all the instrumentation for that and did it with Mark Stewart and then after that was done, was looking for a band to fit the roles. Uh, it was really easy to find, I mean, to find Spencer because Spencer and I had already been friends and had mutual friends in the local scene. So then it was a good fit. I mean, like the, you gotta have like good chemistry between members, you know, like they gotta understand one another and care about one another. And you would ideally wanna pick people who you'd be friends with outside of your band, right? So it's a bonus. It all worked out with that. Met Sawyer later at the skate park, actually. he That's where I met him and found out he played drums. And then that was yeah, how it started. I had actually met, I had met Kate's boyfriend, like, probably over a year before I uh, met Kate. And I had heard of his band, Anti-Ghost, because they played at Blood Fest. I didn't see them, but I saw posters for them and stuff. So I knew that and that he was in the scene, kind of. And then Kate started skating and started coming to the park and stuff with Joe. And it was like, yo, someone told me you play drums. I was like, where'd you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> the secret's out. Yeah, the secret's out. <laughs> and yeah, so I went and just jammed with them at Spencer's house, Rip Deer House. But it was like probably the coolest practice space that uh i'll ever be in honestly <laughs> just the yeah, right this, all over the wall uh, is crazy old practice space at my old house on washington where there's just a uh, absurd writing all over the walls and anytime anyone new would come over we'd just invite them to draw whatever they wanted up there so uh, plenty of weird poems and obscene drawings to be had there yeah sort of like you would go to any corner and you'd find something new every time. Mm-hmm. A lot has accumulated there. I wonder if it still exists. I bet they painted over it. I think the landlords have to have uh, painted over it afterwards. I would love to believe, though, that whoever moved in, like, actually loved it, decided it's to keep it. <laughs> Things are different now. I mean, it's obviously, like, way more of a cohesive, collaborative group now. Everyone's got a pretty unique personality. It's, it's a good time. Yeah, it's interesting how that stuff kind of gets started like that. Um, mm-hmm. So when did you all start learning music? I was like eight. Maybe even earlier, sort of, but I didn't take lessons until I was eight. I think I had like basic piano classes when I was like probably like five or something. Like just like with a bunch of kids in a room and there was like, I remember the like Mozart mouse book, just like one of those basic Ebola classes. But I will say it actually taught me how to like read music. So then come like sixth grade, I started playing trumpet in like school. And 
I think I picked up a guitar when I was like 16 or so. My grandma got me one for my birthday and just started learning like as many Blink-182 tabs as I could. And then bass, I didn't really start playing until I was like 18. I moved away to college and found um, some guys who needed a bassist for their pop punk band. So I was like, you know what? I can figure out four strings if I can figure out six strings. And, uh, you know, like five years later, here we are. I started guitar lessons when I was six. I don't even remember how many years I took guitar lessons because there was a period where I stopped for a little bit and then went and got back into it. Then I started taking vocal lessons at age 11 and I did that until I moved out at like 18. And so, I mean, my childhood, that was my thing. Like I wasn't like a sports kid. I would go to music classes after school, but I found out after meeting Sawyer that we had actually gone to the same music school growing up and had no idea that the other person existed. Yeah, we didn't know each other like when attending though, but it was a weird coincidence. I mean, I guess it kind of made sense being from like the general area and they were like the best place to take lessons. I, I still think even in Metro Detroit, honestly, although I haven't had that much experience elsewhere, that, but I don't know. It taught me pretty I think well. Anywhere that can give a like vernacular music education experience and be effective in it is like important because I think that a lot of schools um are like what song you want to learn like music education in America is like uh like that snake that eats itself I forget his name uh but Oribis or whatever Uh, that's probably very wrong but like it's just like oh you can learn all this stuff so that maybe one day you can become a band teacher and it's like hmm we could be learning a lot more like there's like 50 years of technological advancements that have been going on out here production is really taking off i would love to see kids in school learning how to use pro tools and fruity loops and like midi software instead of like playing like the same tchaikovsky march Mm -hmm. for the 50th time i went to two high schools technically at the same time and there was no options at either of them for learning how to produce music, which I think is really dumb because that's, it's only going to become more important to know how to do that as time goes on. Like This is true. I mean, like the further we get um, into the age of social media, the more expectations lie on the independent artist to be the writer, the producer, the promoter. That's the part that I hate. <laughs> doing promotion and like social media and that's that's stuff that we didn't used to know have to know how to do all of that as individuals usually you'd have an entire team involved but with like the prevalence of social media prevalence of independent artistry and just the sheer amount of content amount of artists it's we have to pick up those skills nowadays so did you guys play in any bands before this one them's both did but i didn't really yeah, but I don't uh, end it in such a horrible way that I don't like to talk about it. it it's um, basically it ended with my stuff, like all my gear being lit on fire, and that's not an exaggeration. So oh my. the reason I wanted to start another project was because you kind of, after something like that, need to reclaim the power within yourself to convince yourself, I can do this. And I can do it without any reaction. I don't even know how to 
transition that because it's a true story. I don't know how to even uh, talk about it, really. I still struggle with that because there's no easy way to explain. Yeah, there were such hard feelings about the parting of the group that my stuff got literally destroyed. I actually had to sue them, take the money that I got from that incident and use it to record a new EP because I didn't want that to be my last experience with music. You know, I, I want to be able to take that experience and at least create something good out of it. Wow, that, I mean, that's uh, that sounds pretty bizarre. The darkest backstory, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, I feel like my backstory is far less, like, tragic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it kind of pales by comparison. Um, I, had, I played in, like, a good half dozen local bands before uh, settling down with these guys. Um, I had started Tequila Deer back in like 2017 or so and then wound up playing with USU Joy Life for a few years um very very briefly and complainer at the last blood fest and a couple of other projects around town as well but definitely have been uh, enjoying making music with these guys for the last couple of years now and I haven't played in like I would at the music center where me and Kate took lessons. I was in the band program there, so I was in like I think it might have kind of at the time it was I wasn't really thinking much about it, but like they were just like so in need of drummers and thought I was good enough that they put me in like four bands at the same time, and it just got to be kind of a lot once I hit like my teenage years and I kind of just dropped all of it and stopped taking lessons and anything and I. I started, I stopped playing drums a lot and I started playing a lot of guitar and writing my own stuff. And then I recorded a, a solo album of like stuff I had written with, with my friend Logan when I was like 18, but I didn't play in bands for like all of high school or up until I really, I met these guys. I had done like a little stints for people occasionally on drums and stuff, but not very often. And I did jazz band in high school but I don't really like jazz that much. I like jazz. It's fine. You like not- jazz? You like jazz. It's cool. Jazz is, it's just like, you know. You gotta find the right, you gotta find the right jazz, you know? You gotta find the jazz that, like, speaks to you. I love reading about Miles Davis and being like, wow, this guy was insane, but I loved him. I like, like, the crooner type jazz, like Frank Sinatra or Chet Baker mm-hmm. or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just think I like vocals and, and lyrics. I, I don't right. really like I definitely prefer, like, a Davis to a Coltrane. Like, uh, just, like, you can be really mathematical about, like, your music. But I think that coming from the hearts, like, really the bread and butter. I have a very neutral opinion on jazz. <laughs> I, I saw someone made a post that was like you don't dislike jazz you fear jazz and it's lack of boundaries exactly <laughs> but no i respect jazz i think um i had a neutral opinion and then playing in a jazz band i now have a neutral to negative opinion which i think was the opposite of what it was supposed to do the nerdy part of me likes seeing stuff like like giant steps just like do cool music theory things but I agree. Well, the theory side of it, and like, I mean, my solo, I used a, a ton of jazz chords. Like, I, I definitely had, there's 
like I'm in my guitar playing at least there's a lot of jazz influence but straight jazz or like bebop jazz I just my my brain it just doesn't do it for me I guess yeah right ballads over bebop for me personally going off that when did the pop punk sound start to emerge in your lives definitely high school junior I, I would say I my friend Kevin when I was like 12 showed me bleed it out by Lincoln Park and it all went downhill from there <laughs> um, but no I was I was a big I was just talking to Sawyer how in like junior high I was a huge MCR fanboy and like I would listen to other bands but I would always wind up going back to My Chemical Romance like uh, probably most of the day uh, in the hallways and stuff. And then I feel like I kind of graduated on to like say anything from there. And then as I like moved away to college, it was a lot more like- Mineral, mineral. Yeah, mineral. 90s emo, Midwest <laughs> emo, 90s emo, mineral, Captain Jazz, all that good stuff. I feel like I kind of like traced back. I like was like MCR broke up and I was like, I have to trace back like what their influences was. So I was like, well, what was like 90s emo like? And then I was like, oh, this was the good stuff. I love like mineral. I will shamelessly go to bat for Captain Jazz. Even though it's like music I would like cry to when I was like 19, I still stand by it. Captain Jazz? Captain Jazz is not so much crying music. That's more like, you're having a great day and you're smoking a lot of weed and like just vibing <laughs> out. It's interesting that you you brought up pop punk um, because my question is, is that how you would interpret like our sound sort of? I, I hear that sometimes, but I, I think from from being within the actual project, it's, we sometimes well, I think don't really know how it's pop interpreted. Pop punk doesn't always mean Blink-182, you know? Like, well, yeah. I think but, we are a punk style band with pop influences so i mean yeah. and pop punk influences get so confusing subgenres you get so confused mm-hmm. I, I think if we're gonna draw like a, a parallel i mean obviously I, I grew up with a heavy paramore influence i was mostly just an emo kid growing up every variation of the emo genre and all of its subgenres i love to this day unapologetically i don't fret dropping the e-word you know so <laughs> yeah it's becoming uh, less taboo yeah probably around age 11 on it has been a very prevalent subgenre in my life so i cannot even remember that is the first music i remember deciding on my own that i was obsessed with like, like green day well, well, i was like yeah, american idiot was obviously yeah that was yeah. the first American well, Idiot was the first album I think I ever bought. I think Wake Me Up When September Ends was one of the first songs I ever even heard or, like, remember hearing when I was, like, four or five. And then I got obsessed with all the early stuff when I was, like, eight or nine. And then I got into Blank, you know, the you know how it goes with all that. And Come to think I, of it, I, yeah, I do remember American Idiot being, like, the first album probably in with pop punk influence and roots in it that i had ever heard i think it was for like a lot of people and that like especially like because we're pretty much just the right age for that to be the case because i was like i mean i'm the youngest in this band and i was like three or four when that album came out and i like i said i remember hearing wake me up in september and why i was like four or five i yeah i remember i had a um 
I, I can't remember how old I was really, but I had like an MP3 player, like one of those little like kind of pill shaped ones and would store like maybe like a dozen albums on it. Like it was tiny. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have American Idiot on there until I got like a, my first like iPod. And then I was able to get American Idiot on there. I was so excited. Cause I, I think I had been, I think my parents had like Dookie on the computer or something. Cause my dad yeah. must have had it. And so I like threw that on there. And, like the scorpions, <laughs> like the greatest of bugs. Yeah, because we know we know that that's pop punk, right? <laughs> that's real pop punk. Here I am. <laughs> I had I actually had 21st Century Breakdown on my iPod, which is a very mid album. I I don't think it's when they totally fell off yet, but like compared to American Idiot, like the fact that that was like one of the first. It seemed like albums some scraps, yeah. Access to, yeah. But then it was it was a weird journey after that because I never I I started I also was uh into a lot of indie or like straight punk more stuff like I when I was, I was like thirteen and fourteen like going into high school I got way more into like bedroom pop and like like nineties indie uh and space rock like hum or like uh like pavement and then like. Uh, a lot of shoegaze music too, which kind of bleeds into emo music. I, and I think uh, I stopped being as much into pop punk, pop punk, and more into like emo pop punk, like Choice Manor. Right, right, and yeah. Basement and stuff like that when I was like 15 or 16. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, basement? Uh, like Sorority Noise, Citizen, uh, like I have everything in that. Like, if you went to a, a related artist page on, or like, you know, like on Spotify, when you look at all the related artists to a band, like all of those for like Joyce Manor, or like Basement or something, like kind of like the Midwest emo stuff that Spencer was talking about, but a little less like, uh, jang- like jangly and a bit more just like angry and sad. Oh, and Title Fight. Right. Kind of losing sure. a little bit of like Midwest emo. The more Midwest you get, I think the more math rock influence you kind of have yeah. in some of the riffs, and then you switch into the open tuning. I mean, you yeah. know, only consists well, yeah. of the original DC. Stop. Stop. That meme was has been dead since it existed. It never dies. <laughs> it's just, I guess another way of looking at it. I will say my taste has shifted a lot towards like Fugazi and also Shoegaze, Shoegazi. <laughs> But I've been listening to a lot more like lo-fi indie stuff lately. Like still very punk became obsessed with, like Mac DeMarco era. I mean, like or like hers, rest in peace. Or uh, freaking damn, why am I coming up on blank with this? Like car seat headrest or teen suicide or something like that which is still it's kind of emo in its own right but not in like the actual genre of way like just in a very emotional kind of vulnerable way right i think what the parallel we can draw from all of our favorite music is that the more raw the emotion the more fun it is to listen to and because i think from a musician's perspective the more you can relate to the other musician creating it the more you're interested in hearing it personally all about that catharsis exactly oh yeah like, even if i don't exactly understand what it is that the song is about because i wasn't in the shoes of the songwriter that wrote it right i didn't live their life i didn't have that experience i can respect and appreciate that catharsis and the way that it comes out in their music 
And so I feel like it's authentic. I really like when you can kind of prescribe your own meaning to those lyrics too. Like a lot, kind of like uh, that like Kurt Cobain mentality of like, I don't want to know what the song's about. Like, like Oh yeah, I think probably, I mean, that's kind of a basic one, but I, I think uh, Nirvana for sure has a pretty big influence. Oh yeah, on- we definitely all are big Nirvana <laughs> fans. I also like feel like, I don't know, I feel like we all, is it wrong of me to say we all like Led Zeppelin? Is that egregious? Um, I like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone likes Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. true. Rip off that, those Greta Van Fleet guys so hard, though. <laughs> hard for me. Yeah, I can't believe Led Zeppelin just ripped off Greta Van Fleet like that. <laughs> Not cool. Yeah, Yeah, don't get me started on Greta Van Fleet, man. Don't get us started on Greta Van Fleet. That's a hot button there. <laughs> yeah, let's just cut that right there. Move on <laughs> to the next thing, I think. Yeah. Take me to a uh, typical band practice. Say, what's the environment like? Can it be fun or is it more down to business? Okay, yeah, so I show shifted, up. Yeah. I'm, I'm down to business. I'm like, these are the things I want to get done. Let's do this. Let's do that. Spencer walks in. He tells me a narrative about something hilarious and, and asks everyone a question like, would you rather fight um, horse-sized ducks or... <laughs> duck-sized horses. Yeah. <laughs> and for sure a, a horse-sized duck. Yeah. Like, I'm like, a question. Spencer will come in uh, either with some, like, some sort of joke like that it really gets you thinking like why why would you why would you lead with that but i love it at the same time it's hilarious he's just got the ice yeah stream of consciousness uh that is always very amusing um i really enjoy that about spencer sawyer is sitting in band practice telling both of us to shut up for our own respective reasons (laughs) (laughs) no no i'm joking it's actually um we're pretty productive we just also love to talk to one another and like we've definitely gotten more like, productive since we yeah. uh so we used to have that practice space at my uh old house the deer house um we since moving out of there um have started practicing at grove studios in ypsilanti which definitely shout out to grove studios if any bands yes. are looking for a good place to practice in southeast michigan i think they're definitely one of the best we get really great rates um on like rental spaces like hourly so and they've got like subscription packages and stuff but basically we you know go in there and we have it booked by the hour and they've got all the amps and uh drum set there so we've just got to bring like our guitars and uh it's pretty dope we've definitely gotten more productive though since like with our practices since we've kind of been on a a schedule because it used to kind of be right. like oh we've got all friday afternoon to practice or whatever you know and now it's a little more like we got to try and fit this in from like you know four to six or whatever yeah, um, we've got set hours and now it's way easier to direct our, our focus when we've got set dates for things we have to prepare for right when we started we were still in the midst of of limbo not knowing really when shows were going to be a thing not really knowing when the next uh project was going to be recorded harder to set deadlines right so now we've got things like events coming up that we need to prepare for and it helps us kind of find that balance of having fun but also getting stuff done and getting it ready for those deadlines 
can't remove the fun element entirely because then it wouldn't be worth it right yeah for sure yeah and at grove you have to you have to pay for the time obviously because they provide all the equipment so that's an incentive to not just be you know goofing around the whole time around the whole time because there's a lot less leeway yeah because you're like we could do this anywhere for free but like to be in this space like you gotta kind of focus your energy so that i mean you don't want it to be so rigid that it's like you burn yourself out while you're there but you know i feel like we have like a good representation of like like (laughs) um like chaotic good neutral good and like lawful good between the three of us um, or maybe just chaotic, chaotic, neutral, chaotic, and lawful chaotic. But like, I feel like, I feel like Who Sawyer would follow. I think Sawyer is chaotic, chaotic, and or good. I feel like I would be neutral, chaotic, and that you would be lawful, chaotic, chaotic. And, and that like, I think um, if without the, the rest of us, Kate would just be like stressing out all the time. And sometimes it, we need to like throw in some like stupid jokes to like, uh, <laughs> like balance things out. But I feel like from the other end, like without like, the rest of us, like Sawyer would just like be skating all the time instead <laughs> of practicing. Or more so like I have very bad time management skills or whatever you know right so i think i balance out like between yeah. sawyer's like bad time management and kate's Whereas, like, um almost like over paranoia sometimes like hey. <laughs> not in a bad way because it's no, useful i, know, I think I, I think i balance those two things out with kate, like a fair level of goofball and i'm like 30 minutes late type energy and then <laughs> five minutes late like just like five minutes early to five minutes late to on time like you know like the right the right spot yeah. where it's something I've been trying to work on, but Spencer is definitely the the mediator of I feel like. So the basis right. does. I'm you I'm got to hold it all together. Hyper organized, hyper detail oriented. Uh, Sawyer is sometimes falling at the opposite end of the spectrum, and and Spencer is is that you're right. I'm you just can, anxious enough to make it they, work, you know. Basically, on motivation, focused is basically me but creative (laughs) i don't think you're unmotivated i just i just think that we all like we operate in different ends of the spectrum and that spencer made a good point about how us being very different and then having someone that's kind of in the middle it it creates for a unique dynamic that i think is, is pretty cool the more i think about it i kind of feel like i've got two brothers we're just gonna yeah it's kind of fun a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like a heck of a time. I guess um, on to the next segment of our interview, like writing songs, coming up with new material. I guess I would first ask, what's the songwriting process like? You know, how does an idea turn into a recording? Say I, I bring like a guitar part and a vocal part in. It's technically, if we're going to look at this instrument, we're a three piece, but technically with vocals, it would be four instruments. We're gonna count vocals as an instrument. Kind of makes sense for me to bring in guitar and vocals, what I can contribute, and then see what the guys think of the idea, see what they want to change, add, get rid of. Um, I don't write parts usually, rarely. I, I did for the the first EP, but that was because Spencer wasn't a part of it yet. But 
I like seeing the rhythm section comes in and how, how they choose to work with each part and make it their own because I have no idea how to direct a drum part. I have no idea to how to direct a bass part. But when you look at something without those very essential pieces, like a song could go in a million different directions. I feel like Kate will usually bring in like, um, and sometimes this, it'll come from different places, but a lot of times it'll be like Kate bringing in like a skeleton uh, to a song sort of. Mm-hmm. And then Sawyer and I will kind of add like the flesh and like muscles on top of that skeleton. And then we'll kind of like decide what the face should look like after that once we've kind of given a little more ground to work on there but other times we'll be like we'll just kind of like be jamming and like kind of latch onto like an idea or something and like then I think having that rhythm section there to kind of um fill it out can also give Kate some like room to like think about what that might look like and then the next time we come back, we have like more of a fully crafted song together and yeah. we'll kind of put it together piece by piece like that. Sometimes you come in with a skeleton or I come in with a skeleton and uh, put it in front of everyone and, and we decide we have no idea what to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're it just warming up and we're like, that sounds cool. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I think, yeah, like usually Kate starts with it. I, I, the only one I can think of that, because Daughters was. Spencer was like, I wrote this bass part, which you can kind of tell from, I guess we don't have it recorded yet, but it will be out. Um, it starts with eventually, the bass, and that was the skeleton for that song. But usually Kate has made the... Well, the I was actually trying to play, I think, a killer's bass line or something, and then I started playing it wrong, and I was like, wait, what if I did it like this instead? And, like, and you were like, oh, that kind of sounds cool. And I was like, yeah, and then we just kind of like went from there. Yeah, and now that's one of our favorite songs, if not our favorite as a group to play. I don't know. Is it? No, how does I, it rank? Kill I like Kill Dozer a lot. Kill yeah. <laughs> Which is not the, the name of it. Title. The name secret of it. title. Secret title. Yeah. This is how, this is a very good example of, of Spencer's role in the band. We have, uh, obviously, we, we pick final names for our songs to sound professional. Um, during the practice process though, usually the lyrics aren't written initially. Normally you'd take a song name from a key lyric, right? When the lyrics aren't written and you have nothing to pull from and you need to know how to refer to a song when you're talking in a group setting and you're trying to rehearse it, you need something that's gonna stick in your head, right? So Spencer uh, takes on the role of creating- I just say whatever comes to my an brain. Absurd I, just, name. But I, I just latch onto right. a word. I like doing like the mashups, like like you see like band names that are like Michael Sarah Palin and stuff like that. I like doing like that kind of mashups, like Jack Russell Stover. Jack um, Russell Stover. We, we, or I'll we'll, I'll just be like Torchic or something, like whatever my brain says. Torchic. Um, just like working <laughs> titles so we can refer to them. Our favorite one though um, is one of the ones on this upcoming EP, which for the longest time I was like, this song makes me angry. It makes me think of the guy, uh, this guy, Marvin He Meyer, who uh, <laughs> got really pissed off and turned uh, his bulldozer into a tank because uh, he was like pissed off at um, his city. So he drove his bulldozer tank through City Hall. Um, just Google it. But, anyways, <laughs> that's a movie. I they made seen a movie it. about it? What? You didn't know there was a oh movie? No, what? I didn't know. Marvin How did you? Oh, yeah. Movie? That's my friend Nico told me about this when I before. Uh, like this 
Killdo- the movie is called Killdozer. I'm what? pretty sure. Yeah, I thought that that's where you heard about it. Okay, yeah, no, no I just heard about it from Wikipedia. I just like going on Wikipedia and like looking at random things. There's so much weird stuff out there. I'm sorry to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there is actually without even getting into conspiracy theory stuff, you can just look up like true like weird stuff the CIA did. Like, there's a lot of messed up stuff. MK Ultra, like, there's some weird <laughs> stuff out there. I bet that's going to be a, a working title for another song at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> MK Ultra. Project Wormwood. Killdozer oh. is. So- oh, but there is a movie about it. I just don't. Okay, hold up. I guess oh. there's like a horror movie. Or, oh. yeah, science fiction. That also sounds pretty so cool. So I'm surprised, though, that it's interesting because they actually wanted, like, they took apart the tank and sent it all to like different parts of the country to the junkyards because they didn't want anyone to make him into a folk legend and that's exactly what i intend to do is turn him into a folk legend because they didn't mm-hmm. want him to be a folk legend right add to the marvin Heemeyer lore yeah i think there's oh, a yeah. band named killdozer also crazy it's called tread it's from 2019 there's no that famous oh wait very weirdly close to the time we've written this song Right. Just saying. It says that he's in it. Is it probably like, like what he died? So, yeah, that's why. So, I mean, definitely like clips of him, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a. He left behind a lot of like insane ramblings. I'm not gonna act like this man wasn't insane. He. I'm not trying to say that he was entirely like. <laughs> I'm not saying he was a good man. No, I think they did it. I just think him. it's a cool story. I think he did, I wouldn't say the right thing, but I don't think he was in the wrong either, exactly. So his quote is that sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things, and I think that absolutely holds up, especially in a day and age where um, it's pretty obvious that our, our government isn't really listening to us actively. I think it's pretty amazing the tangents that we can go off on. <laughs> yeah, this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, this is a perfect example of how we operate in a group setting if, if we don't have to focus on something, necessarily. The, the, it's, it's a good time. So, what artists and bands do you listen to during the songwriting process? Like, do any particularly give you a boost of inspiration? I think it's ever-changing. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of, like, 90s hip-hop and rap and stuff like that. Um... And there's just a lot of really cool bass lines. And also, right. even like newer stuff like Thundercat. I love Thundercat. He's um, the craziest bass player I have ever seen. Oh, like, yeah. He's like, very what, and then I mean, also a lot of like punk stuff too. I mean, like I was saying earlier, like Fugazi is and Nirvana are definitely always favorites. Um, the 90s emo stuff never leaves the rotation. We all, oh, Deftones, definitely. Deftones. And like System of a Down, I think are pretty yeah. big influences for us. That's what there's like. I feel like a slight new metal tinge to our sound, or like alternative metal, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm. Yeah, maybe not. Not new. Not like Limp Bizkit type new metal, but you know, like, <laughs> like, like eighty nine X. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. I mean, uh, bumped into that. What was the other one you said? Like System, also System of a Down. I, mean, I can't do Double Kick, but I, I love love Slipknot, and I think. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I do Me what too. I. Rest do. in peace again. I'm so sad yeah. that Joey uh, passed away recently from Slipknot. That's made me so sad. He's probably, yeah, my favorite metal drummer for sure. 
I also, it's easy to look at that band and draw inspiration from every single bit absolutely, of it. Absolutely, yeah. I will say though that I'm because what's his the drummer for System has like stupid politics, but like as a drummer, he really brings out the best in that band. And I right. since he double kick, I I also kind of take influence from him. But you're pretty well. good at doing like the <clears throat> like fake double kick with a single kick, like the heel toe shit. Yeah. 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 Um, inspiration wise, I like how Spencer brought up nineties hip hop first because you can draw inspiration for any genre from any genre, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. You can you can take something that inspires you out of absolutely everything that you listen to and apply it in a completely different way. When I make I have a habit and a process of making playlists uh to gain inspiration from. Usually it's a mix of every genre that I love there's something on there from each one of them um, because I, I could be listening to 90s hip hop and hear a bass line that really sticks out to me and think if I reimagine that on this instrument and this key and, and change this chord with that chord and, and just play with it and turn this idea that was once completely different but inspired me into something that is inspired by that and that using that method you can come up with something that's pretty unique to you um, and you can still like trace its roots back. That being said, recently have just been absolutely infatuated since, well, since it came out with Glow On, the new Turnstile album that was released this year. And I think everyone who likes any vein of, of rock or hardcore can agree with me on that. Even if you don't, there's like R&B influences on that album. So good. Mm-hmm. Like, That's a great example of cross-genre inspiration. Definitely. I think a lot of the R&B stuff, like very plainly recognizes the fact that for a rhythmic session or a, a rhythm session section i can't speak but um that less can be more a lot of the times and you mm-hmm. just have like one driving catchy hooky bass line and if you listen to like nirvana bass lines he's not he's playing the same thing over and over again that's how you establish a good like that repetition kind of establishes a trance i think but I've also like absolutely fallen in love with a bunch of like lo-fi indie weird stuff like Panchico for I one. I knew it was coming. I love Panchico. Yeah. Um, and that's my favorite thing that Spencer's ever shown me. Oh, they're for, great. That that album is so unique. I would say one a, a very ahead of its time too. Mm-hmm. Right. It sounds like something that would have come out a lot more recently than like twenty. Well, people, Five years people ago, thought it was fake. So anyone unfamiliar, Panchico was this band from like the UK and they released um, a record on like cassettes and like gave it to their friends and stuff, but it never really made the digital jump um, back in like the, I guess, late 90s. I don't really know the exact time frame, but um, anyway, some kid found it at like a pawn shop a few years ago and put it up on like youtube or whatever and it was like had a bunch of disc rod on it and they finally like have a cleaned up version and someone was able to find the lead singer of this band on facebook they never put their last names in the credits they just put their first name and they were like are you the guy from panchico and he's like completely moved on with his life now um but they've just like blown up now but it's just really cool like synthy stuff also, uh, Paranul, I don't know if I'm saying that name right, but uh, they're a, uh, a Korean indie artist that I've really, like, uh, just 
been listening to a ton lately. Lots of anime sound bites. <laughs> yeah, Panchinko even looks like it would have more anime. Like it's the pic- the cover is an anime girl. Right. It's music for Neon Genesis fans. Yeah. And Radiohead adjacent. That's a good way of putting it. Definitely. Yeah, he sings kind of like wispy and not like falsetto-y exactly. Damn, what what was this interview even about? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry we've taken this and ran with it in every direction. (laughs) No, you're fine. I mean, yeah, we were basically asking about which bands, you know, inspire you during recording, so... So, I mean, yeah, that, I that is a band that is inspiring you guys coming into the recording process that we're about yes. to take part in. So yeah. I'd say it's still somewhat relevant. Oh, absolutely. I, I, the world of weird synth noises eludes me, but I've been listening to enough Muse lately that I want to explore uh-huh. And the world of, like, trippy lo-fi indie music is a world i've been in for a while so any opportunity to bring that influence into something i will take uh, going off of that um take me through the recording of your first single insecure like what was going on in your lives to inspire this song first of all they weren't um there for that we don't play it, was, on it. it was what we don't play on it yeah, on that song, um, fortunately, but I mean, obviously live and stuff, but she recruited us based off that album, basically. That was like, before our time. It's all mm-hmm. Kate. Oh. oh, so it was just Kate on that song. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. all her. Everything that's been released thus far is is me, but I cannot wait for these two to be on our, on the upcoming EP that we are tracking because it's is going to involve all of us. And I think that the sound with the three of us versus the one of us is, is way, it's way more unique and engaging. I, I also, I just, these guys translate what I put on that EP to live sound so well. I, I feel very lucky. So I think that moving forward, it's going to be even better, certainly. But to answer your question about what that recording process was like, um, like, you know how they said I take skeletons into band practice of songs and work those up? Started with the skeleton of that song, just as I would with any other. But the person that I'd be bouncing ideas off of would be producer, name's Mark Stewart. He works at Radon Studios in Kegel Harbor. And he helped me take the song that I had written and translate it to the sound that we achieved um, that looks like spending usually you spend like a whole session just going through guitar tones right you, you take out a bunch of of amps and pedals that you really like you play around with all of them until you find something that you're perfectly happy with usually that means getting something that is like a heavier tone something you want to use for the lighter parts something that's kind of in between whether there's any other auxiliary effects that you want to add in your in your signal chain like i have I utilized a lot of shimmer um, in the studio with him. It's a whole process, but it, um, he helped me take the ideas, find the tones for it. Um, it looks like a lot of sitting in the same place with a click track going in your headphones for several, several hours and just trying to get the perfect take. And um, what you're hearing is layers of about, there's usually three or four guitar layers um, mixed in such a way where it might sound like half that but 
yeah, doing that for each instrument. That was really what it came down to. And I had the most fun doing guitars because like I said, the tone in which you choose and all the extra effects that you add and, and that is really when you start to hear it coming together, how you envisioned when you get the guitars laid out like that. It's really such an interesting process. You, you always go in there thinking, you know how the song that you've written is going to turn out, but you never really do until it's done. messages and themes in that song that's a good that, question that, I don't know. <laughs> it's up to anyone <laughs> that was my diss track uh, i told you about my incident with the last band the song is that was uh that felt like me reclaiming my power after being beaten down and feeling like i wouldn't have the resources to to gather the tools i needed to make music again um, and it was kind of a shout out to the person that put me in that position in the first place. And it's obviously would never mention them directly, but I'm sure they know who they are. But I mean, overall, what I want anyone who listens to that to take away from it, if it's not, you know, like Spencer said, music is subjective, but I want the listener to feel like uh, the person who hurt them and made them feel terrible, terrible about themselves doesn't have any power over themselves. And with that reclamation of your own power, you can proceed unaffected by another person who might still be stuck in their negative tendencies and, and want the worst for you. You can still thrive, even if that person has hurt you. Now, while we're talking about the original music, um, what about the EP, Maybe I'll See You Next Year? That's also all done by Kate, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything that's been released thus far. Yeah. But I would encourage anybody anybody who's interested in hearing our music to come to a live show first if they had the choice to because i i think that it's a better example of who we are as a group and uh who i was when i recorded that ep even like two years ago does not even feel remotely close in a lot of ways to who i am now as an artist and who we are as a group as an artist so i love that ep don't get me wrong but it's very you know the way that sound evolves and changes, nothing ever stays the same. Even you can play the same song every day for two years and it's going to be slightly <laughs> different each time. Now, even though that was all one person, I still feel I should ask, has the pandemic affected the recording process at all? We've started during the pandemic, so yeah, not exactly. We had like a good year almost, or at least... Yeah, about that long before, between, like, actually the first time we played together and the first time that we, like, felt it was, like, safe to go back out and play a show again. Because really, like, the skate park was one of the few 
places that you could go like outdoors outdoors during all of that away yeah and then spencer and i lived together at the time like we were roommates shortly after that that made things easier it made the whole practicing easier you know everything right exactly kind of already in each other's social circle there right and uh like he said that good year we had or, or so in between starting the group and playing live gave us a lot of time to feel comfortable with one another create a group dynamic and and prepare ourselves for taking it live yeah, one day right but we didn't never really know like when or if it was going to happen i think when we started it's hard to say now the current is it an ep or an album that you guys are working on right now it's technically another ep so how is the writing and recording process like what's the current status of it right now like is it still in the writing like recording production we're a few weeks away from uh some of our first sessions for that but we're still kind of finishing up the writing and pre-production stage right now yeah the majority of it is done but there's a couple songs that we really need to make sure have more work done on them before we take them in but we're doing drums first and it starts in a few weeks since the live shows is clearly you know as you've mentioned it's your strong point right now i guess i'd like to ask like take me through a tour on the road experience like well first of all what was your first show together in front of an audience uh what this summer uh or i guess this last summer we played in detroit with um day hangers and you guys remember the other band on that bill oh yeah let me pull it up oh i feel terrible because it's uh, oh it's like flipping my mind but it's bad trip yeah, bad trip at Stash International um, down in Detroit, and that was a lot of fun. And then um, from there, we had a few more throughout the summer. Uh, we just got to play the Loving Touch um, last month. That was awesome. Yeah, um, one of our first shows we played back was at a DIY show in a show venue in Lansing, which is mm-hmm. really cool. It was an old church that got converted. Yeah, we've had a couple of fun DIY shows out in Lansing. Uh, we had a really cool one at a local skate shop out here in FC2 that went really well. That was probably my, I mean, not just because it was at the skate shop. I, oh, I no, think that was really fun. And playing outside was, was really fun. That was one of our best performances. Yeah, absolutely. And the pig, like, the pictures from it looked really good. Because I think we started playing, like, right kind of as the sun was setting. Maybe it was already set. I don't really remember. but It was kind of dark by the time that we were playing, but it was cool. Coming up, we've got some good live shows, too, that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, but I think that we usually have a pretty like cathartic energy throughout. Um, I think that Sawyer and I usually lock in with each other pretty well, but I also just love throwing myself around the stage. Ever since I got into playing bass, I've uh, tried to, to move the whole time. Photographers love him. Photographers do love Sawyer. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. As far as drummers go, usually they'll get like one picture. Yeah. Because I I make it kind of difficult to get a a non blurry shot usually. (laughs) Your action shots are great. I envy your ability to to have as much room to move around on stage. It's kind of tough when you're stuck to stuck to a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. But I try to make up for that and fill up fill up a lot of space that's always been something though that um I think has like I think the first show that I played I realized pretty quickly that 
you just gotta put it all out there um and people have always kind of recognized that i think so for each live show like on the road how do you get there like do you drive together or it'll usually depend on the show really um Sometimes, a lot of times we'll wind up driving separate just because we all live uh, separately now, but sometimes we'll carpool if it's a little bit further of a drive. Yeah, we did like a two-day, well, you're based on CMU, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when we play the show for the for, live uh, session over session? there, yeah, yeah. The summit we all went yeah, together in, in my parents' minivan. Toyota Sienna. because uh it was you know i had never been to uh uh, mount pleasant and it's like two hours from all of us because it's it's like northwest and we live on the east side of the Mm -hmm. state so it would have been really dumb to drive separate for that but if we had something in like 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 we just had one in ferndale and i live 15 maybe not even minutes from there and kate spencer lives closer because he's like on more towards the highway and ipsy or whatever so that we all drove separate for that it just yeah it totally depends but a lo- it's fun mm-hmm. when we can do it together it's just not always. yeah oh, absolutely yeah it's it just depends on whether it's practical or not i guess now while you're driving there who gets the aux cord <laughs> It depends. We'll around. We'll play. We'll all add our own stuff to the queue. Yeah, I mean, luckily, it's it's not ever like a ox privileges revoked type. Yeah, of we're deal. never like pissed <laughs> off. Like, what are we list? Unless Sawyer puts on hypercop, we're usually fine. I don't. Spencer, like? I I would actually I would I have more of a tendency to put on like really trashy heavy industrial rap than hyperpop, <laughs> even though fine. I. Like, I look like I someone who make hyperpop. I just know one time you showed me a song and the vocals were like pitched like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. Yeah. I hated, I, it. I hated it. It might have been, it was either Gex or Who Killed XIX. Um, that is how I heard those real names. <laughs> 100 Gex. Well, everyone knows about 100 Gex now, but, but Who Killed XIX. About 100 Gex. <laughs> and Everybody knows. Their pinnacle debut album, A Thousand Gex. One Thousand Gex. Why have one hundred Gex when you could have one thousand Gex? Are they geckos? No, I they're geckos. What is the gex? They're gex. I think. <laughs> How dare you even ask? <laughs> you don't know what gex are, bro? They're gex. Bro. They're gex. I think it might be geckos. That's why I picture. But you know, it's one of those things I feel like. Can you picture a hundred geckos in one room? Dude, have you ever been to Florida? There's geckos yes. everywhere. But a hundred is a lot of ge- Like a hundred. You would geckos. see a hundred. How far does that line go down the road if there's a hundred geckos? Or if a hundred geckos walk into the room right now, what would that look like? Okay, let's say a They're gecko pretty is small, four inches man. long, right? Four inches. Four times. <laughs> 400 inches of gas. Several yards. It's it's definitely several yards. But if you're you're in Florida, if you go walking for like two hours and you'll you'll see like a hundred geckos probably. Yeah, but not in one spot together. No, unless there's like a cult of geckos. Is that maybe they don't travel like that? No, they don't. They're they're pretty solitary, I think. I I heard they're like monarch butterflies, and they like fly south every year to Mexico and gather on the trees. 
I don't think they can That's fly. What I heard. That's what I heard. I don't Play know if they can fly. Gullible. Gullible. What? Gullible. Gullible? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Wait. Is it on the it's ceiling? Like gecko migration. No, it's not real. Oh, we know. Yeah. It's wait. It's that's not true. What? No, it's There's not no true. Great they don't. They don't. No. The lizards don't fly south. Like Those would be east. Dragons, now I'm gonna actually. play it. All right. No, I said. I believe that's why I was like, I think you were, were playing the dragon. whole time, Kate. I've been pulled. Anyways. <laughs> like chess. Anyways. Next question. If I, I guess if anyone gets their Oxford privileges revoked, it's Sawyer from now on. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. I have better music taste than both of them, though, so they can, you know what? <laughs> okay, Gen Z. The gecko conspiracy. I put just the great gecko conspiracy. <laughs> it's like the lizard people, but worse. All right, to get back on track, um, when you get there, who sets up the gear? Do the lizard people set it up, or? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've been, like I said, I've been a plenty of bands before this, so um, it's like a five minute process for me. I feel like I like trained like uh to do this in my like sleep so um i feel like we're all usually pretty uh self-efficient for the most part Mm -hmm. as far as getting up the gear i don't like to take up space after we play and i know there's another band coming up afterwards because i know that when i'm standing there waiting for someone else to take the amp off stage and it's like oh where is he he's getting a beer okay cool i'm like i i hate that so i try not to be that guy and i try to get all my stuff out of there in like five minutes but also i mean I think we're pretty efficient with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's far or, as or our, our partners will help a lot for sure too with that as well. Right. It is so like Spencer said, very important to be courteous of the other artists that are going on, you know, before or after you, letting them have the space they need to load off and giving people the time they need. It takes way less time for us to load our stuff off for the next act, which is an act after us than it does for them to set up their stuff and make sure it's all where they need it to be. Right. And we have, usually there's like a 15 minute changeover window for um, a show that is, you know, running on time. So that but means- also there's plenty of friends and like our partners always help us carry stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so we definitely don't do it entirely on our own. What's the best and worst thing about being a band in Michigan? There's a season where more people are interested in showing up to see shows and you can't blame them for that um once it gets i mean i guess spencer wants to interject but i was gonna say yeah but on the flip side i will say people might not want to go to shows as much during the winter time some people other people still are down for that but you know you get really sad and then you write good music there is some added benefit i think to uh living in michigan in the winter time i guess yeah you can clear up your schedule more to work on content uh, slash music creation uh writing really stress the details more during those times and uh focus more on being a socialite live performance um deadlines (laughs) once it gets warmer like as we're approaching the spring and summer like things are lining up that are looking really exciting and fun a lot of cool shows coming up and it's really 
really exciting to come out of a winter that sucked a lot with some good things to look forward to. I think um, it's like easy to like take it for granted though because as much it can as it can like as the winters can suck. I also feel like it would kind of suck like for like the summer just to drag on forever. Like I think that change kind of lets you appreciate like when it's nice and sometimes it's just nice in different ways. I mean Midwest emo does exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. We're People all locked stuck here during the winters. Year. Yeah. All we've got to do is noodle and open tunings. Do you see yourself as part of a scene or more self-supported? Absolutely part of a scene. I think the um, sort of like emo punk alternative scene in Southeast Michigan um, has been really good to us for a number of years, even like before starting this project. And I think there's a lot of really, really cool music coming out of our state right now. So yeah. Um, honestly, I mean, I think that Southeast Michigan is like one of the best places to be making music in the Midwest right now, if not like, you know, you know, the country as a whole. I think I wholeheartedly agree. I would like in some ways there's some traps, I think, like some people might not agree with that statement from like a music industry standpoint, but from like a band standpoint, and I think that we really care most about like making quality connections and just um, having quality moments with people as well. I think that we are in a really lucky position for that with the scene that we have around us. I, I do think though, kind of that like the scene that is here has been really supportive of us, like more so than uh, I was expecting or like that you could really ask for, but I don't think we, sonically fit with that scene very well. Oh, right. Well, I think sonically... We sound kind of pretty different from a yeah. lot of the, the bands in the scene, as supportive of uh, us as they have been. I, it I, is don't, kind of... I don't think a scene is just bands that, like, sound exactly like each other. Right. I think it's... I, I would like... No, not like exactly. ...that we have a diverse, I think, or, like, musically. I would like... I'm always hoping to see more diversity in any scene, but I think musically, like, there is a lot of diversity in it. and I think like it's I want to play with bands that sound different too all the time I don't want to play with like bands that sound exactly like us every time right I, I can see what both of you are saying um it is true it is I think it is harder for us to find bands in the scene that sound like us um but that's not what it's all about you know uh, when it comes to the amount of support that you receive from other people the people who are active in our scene are passionate about uh live music self-expression uh in general and it can go across the board usually people you meet in the scene who might like our band or, or fans of other bands in the scene that sound very different from us and also some that sound quite a bit more like us than those other bands which can be really fun you can you can have uh people that you wouldn't normally expect your music to resonate with resonates with them and vice versa, you can you can find a lot of bands in this scene where you go into it not knowing what to expect, and you find like your favorite new artists in the area. There's there's a lot of good expression to come out of Southeast Michigan. I mean, there has been for a very long time. Some of some of the greats have come out of Michigan, and um, it, in my opinion, the scene is still thriving. It's just changed a lot as things do with time. I think we're moving into like another generation too. I mean, like not like generation like 
like I'm the next generation of bands almost I feel like it's exciting yeah it's very exciting um going off that what are some other Michigan bands like past or present that you look up to oh so many um mover shaker um when kind of on hiatus this year and they were one of my favorites for years um great death i think is one of the best out there as far as making loud amps sound really really cool um there's really more than i could ramble off in the past handful of years right now we've got uh definitely plenty of friends making great tunes and like uh anti-ghost and in a daydream plenty of others around town right now too anti-ghost in a daydream future misters makes great music i'm getting bands confused uh in my head right now with like uh the ohio scene i'm not gonna go into that right now i mean i feel like it's all kind of wraps together though Mm -hmm. there's plenty of great ohio bands as well i love the folks anyone with any relation to summit shack in any way down there Mm -hmm. Um, so really there's countless, I think. I'm also impartial to, I like, uh, like the Indian garage scene closer to me in, uh, Hamtramck. Uh, there's this dude, Hala, like Ian Rahala. I, I haven't met him, but he, he's pretty popular. And I didn't even, uh, know that he was from the area or like part of the scene when, uh, when I started listening to his music, there's this band Zilch that is also, that's Zilch kind of great. Zilch mm-hmm. is really cool, and they're they're one of the they're not like huge or anything, but in the Hamtramck scene, they're one of the bigger ones. Uh, there's the Stools. I haven't really met any of these people though. But my yeah. mom knows someone in the Stools. I she's just, I, can, yeah. I don't know her like yeah, really? her friend's son or something like that. Yeah, she was just studying me an article about them the other day, and I was like, that's a funny band name. Uh, they, from what I understand, they're they're pretty involved in uh, the DIY skate scene around Detroit too. Like they have a hand in Bishop. They either had a hand in Bishop in its construction, or they've like played there. And that's mm-hmm. cool both of those. Because the Michigan what? DIY skate scene and the Michigan DIY music scene has a lot of crossover, and I think that makes it really culturally cool. Mm-hmm. I think there's yes. lots of friends all around too. Kiss your friends. Is- um you might know them as it's marco aziel and or um oh marco like the the hippie yeah with the, the to-do list on on yeah, his arm awesome. yeah them. oh they're he's awesome. so cool yeah they, i didn't know i forgot he was in a band. they, they are yeah well i don't but i also like hmm, i'm trying to remember oh obviously bombastic rufus he was fantastic uh, yeah, I'm trying to dig in the recesses of my brain because I know there's a lot of other bands that I really enjoy that I would love to shout out right now. But um, for the time being, that covers a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot to kind of condense to just a few. So, yeah, I understand that. Now, going off that, who has been the best to co-headline a show with? Well, I'm the Olympia show in a daydream and anti-ghost. Uh, anti- I mean, anti-ghosts we are friends with. And so that was cool to because we played, I think, two shows with them. And it was cool to be playing with them in a scene where a lot of people like knew us on a personal level. And then Inner Daydream was like one of my favorite bands that we played with on as far as like their actual music, like how much I vibe with it. Yeah. And uh, if anyone listening is interested, uh, 
frontman of that band actually does run a podcast about the music scene with a lot of really interesting guests called Invite the Neighbors. We've also got so a show coming up headlining uh, that Tiger Cub is headlining. We're really excited yeah. for that one. And the Sanctuary on April 11th with Bass. Yeah. Um, couldn't really call that a co-headline, but we're happy to be a part of that because um, Tiger Cub is a really, really solid band coming from the UK. And they have a really pretty cool modern rock take right now. They're, they're doing well in that scene. I guess I have to ask this as well. What, in your opinion, is the best music town in Michigan? I know there's Detroit and all that, but what do you think is the best music town? I feel like it's all kind of like, I think the interesting thing about the Detroit scene lately is that you have a lot of people kind of coming from all over Metro Detroit, really. Um, I mean, I think we've been pretty, I think Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor um have been a really great place to like make music just because it, it's kind of changing lately there's not really any like live music venues in Ypsilanti but right now but before the pandemic there was definitely a good handful of places to play um I don't by any means think that it's the best town but I think that you have a lot of small pockets like that, that kind of come together to to support each other so it's I've never really thought of like when I think of like the Southeast Michigan or like Detroit music scene, I've never really thought of that being like limited to one like area code necessarily. Like oh, I will play shows at like the Blind Pig and we'll see people, friends of ours who drove out there from like Oak Park or Hamtramck or you know, further north towards like like Brighton or Whitmore Lake or wherever and I think people kind of are willing to make the trek. Um, but I think that some of the funnest places to play, I think that Hamtramck is always really, really fun to play. I also really like um, the Crowfoot in Pontiac. Uh, it's a really cool venue that I hope we get to play sometime. The Blind Pig is pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, the Blind Pig is really cool. I think that Where's might be my favorite just because it's like home. Is the, the Tiger Cup one isn't that majestic, is it? No, no, it's, it's at sanctuary. the sanctuary. Oh yeah, but we have a show. The Blind I've never even been. Days. I've never even seen a show at Sanctuary. I've heard from everyone how cool that place is. Dude, they have I would love best, to play the shelter too. Best hardcore shows at the Sanctuary in the state. That is why I've heard from everyone. Yes, it's not a farce. Like you could look at any time <laughs> and like find a couple yeah. shows happening there that are coming up. Lansing's always been really fun too. It feels yeah. like a long drive to get out there for whatever reason, even though it's not that long, but it's always fun. It's always been good to us. Lansing, yeah, there's a lot of you can find venues and and uh, shows of varying sizes to play there and to attend there, and all of them have a really cool communal spirit. Right. I would love to get out. This is kind of outside of our like Southeast Michigan pocket, but I know Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids also both have. Um, mm -hmm. some really cool music scenes going on from what I've heard. I would love to play at the Pyramid Scheme just to see, because that's, I honestly, as and not so much anymore, but I'm more familiar with a lot of the bands, like the bigger bands in the Grand Rapids scene, like Law Dispute and like Cardboard Swords and stuff like that. And I don't, we don't really sound like either of those bands, but it would be cool to see, what was that? 
Oh, we, we, well, we don't talk about cardboard swords, but moving on. Uh, why? <laughs> moving on. Do you know them? <laughs> moving on. I'm going to have maybe questions. We, maybe maybe <laughs> we should move on. We should, we should move on for now. I have questions after this. I'll Scott's... answer any and all questions, yeah. Okay, for sure. Uh, okay, for I, I, if there's a thing I there's... know. I haven't listened to them since I was like 17, but still. Yeah. Your, your point stands of you wanting to play in Grand Rapids because Grand I Rapids is a really vibrant place to be, place to play, place to mm-hmm. see. Like... Cool venues, all that jazz. My grandparents live there. Shout out to your grandparents. Shout out Grand John Rapids. and Candy. John and Candy. John and Candy? Like yeah. John Candy? <laughs> who's John Candy? Like, who's John Candy? Sorry, <laughs> dude. Like, planes, trains, and automobiles? You don't know who John Candy is? Never seen oh. that movie. John Candy is a, an American legend, is who John Candy is. Is he the actor or the character? He's an actor. He was a comedian. <clears throat> he's, I'm, I'll look up a picture. He's Canadian, right? Not, not. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh, you didn't even know his nationality, Spencer? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! Y'all are. No, I won't cuss. I'm not cussing. Never mind. <laughs> no, Candy is my step grandma, technically though. You're not even speechless. Shout out, John and Candy. Shout out. Yeah. It's been a minute. All right. Well, that's actually all the questions I had. So is there anything else you wanted to add at the end to kind of wrap this up? Yes. Um, go to Mark Stewart at Radon Studios in Kiko Harbor for all of your recording needs. Um, check us out on every streaming service you can think of with the current EP. Follow us on Spotify and Apple Music so that when we put this new EP out, you can be the first to hear it. Follow us on social media. And uh, when you do all those things, you're more likely to be able to see us live, know where we're playing next, be a part of it, and we'd love to see you. Remember to drink water. Remember to drink water, right? It's a good oh, yeah. one. Yeah, stay hydrated. Tell your friends you love them today, you know, and uh, support your local music scene. It's tough out there right now. Uh, it has been for a couple of years. The pandemic has not been easy on any of us. And uh, a lot of people are, are just kind of brushing the dust off and trying their best to get back into it. So the, be- the more supportive we can be, the better. Yeah, definitely. It's, I imagine it's not easy right now. Definitely not. But uh, we persist. So thank you. We've been Riot Course. Thanks for having us. Hey, no problem. Hey, thanks to everyone on Riot Course, all of you. You've, you've all been great today. Thank you for coming on to Pass the Mic. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great discussion. Um, yeah, be sure to follow these guys on social media and check out their new EP when it's available. Thank you for listening to Passing the Mic. Once again, I am Michael Pye. For more great podcasts like this, check out Central Michigan Life Podcasts on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good one.